Okay, friends, the story begins. We are in the middle of page 49, the second to last paragraph. The blessing where we praise the righteous and we ask God to support the righteous people. Let's read through the blessing real quickly. We'll read it in the English. May your mercies be aroused, Lord our God, upon the righteous, upon the pious, upon the elders of your people, the house of Israel, upon the remnant of their sages, upon the righteous proselytes, and upon us. Grant ample reward to all those who trust in your name and place our lot among them. May we never be disgraced, for we have put our trust in you. Blessed are you, Lord, the support and security of the righteous. Okay. Why do we care this much about righteous people? <laughs> Again, just going back to understanding the structure of the Amida. This is going to be powerful. The structure of the Amida is like a fundraising pitch. Three blessings, praising God. Sandwiched at the end, three blessings, thanking God. And then in the middle, what's sandwiched there is 13 requests, right? We're asking for various things. We're asking for wisdom. We're asking for forgiveness. We're asking for health. We're asking to get rid of the heretics that are over-dominating us and making life difficult. We're asking for redemption. We're asking for Jerusalem. And also, God, support the, those righteous people. What do I care <laughs> Okay, maybe I care because I should care about righteous people, but that's what I'm going to pray for. That's going to be one of our 13 requests. Now, we also said that these 13 requests are also 13 meditations, and we'll see the meditative aspect here as well. But why are righteous people so crucial? Why are they important? It, it this This is a... Not only a curious question like, hey, why, why do we care about these righteous people? But this is a very, very important theological issue that many, many people have. As a Lubavitcher, as a Chabad rabbi, and as a shliach, I could tell you that I get this question all the time. Why are you guys obsessed with your Rebbe? It's weird. <laughs> what, do you need, what do you need that for, right? It's a very good question. It's a very valid question. A very valid question. Hasidim have always been ecstatic about their leader. But Jews have been ecstatic about their leader. Jews always had a Moses of the generation. The Talmud says that Mordechai in his generation during Purim was the Moses of his generation. And that every generation has its Moses. But why do we care so much about this generational Moses? Why do we care about the righteous? Why are they crucial to Jewish life and existence? By the way, it's actually reflected in, in Jewish law. The Torah says, connect. You should connect to God. You should cleave to God. And Rashi over there says... Look out for this Rashi. It's in Deuteronomy a few months from now. Rashi over there says, how could you cleave to God? He's not physical. We're physical beings. So he says, cleave to the righteous people because they manifest God.
not God forbid as Christians view it, that they replace God or that they are God, but they manifest God. And this is reflected in Jewish law. It's cited in Maimonides' Code of Jewish Law. It's cited in the Shulchan Aruch. But let me take a step back. Most people have a gap between reality and their perception of reality. Just the way it is. There's a truth, an objective truth. There's one God. He is the creator. We're not his creator. He's our creator. And we are, therefore, we have embedded within our existence a mission and a purpose to our existence, right? That's a deep, valuable truth that we learn about. For most people, that's a theoretical concept that we try to be inspired about. But for a real tzaddik, that is reality. The reality and how they feel about reality are aligned. The reality and how they what they understand, the way they see life, are aligned. A real tzaddik won't have doubts. It's just clarity. In Kabbalistic lingo, we call this a soul of Atsilus. Ultimate, and we've spoken about this in other, other discussions, just ultimate clarity. There is no gap or, or dissonance, cognitive dissonance between reality and how we perceive reality for a tzaddik, for a regular, for, for a tzaddik. For us, there's tension. We believe that there's a deep reality, a deep purpose, and a Torah, and a, and a mission. And our heart pulls us the other way. Often. And there's tension. But for the tzaddik, total alignment. Right? That's one of the reasons why Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him when they went to, to Egypt. Right? The simple meaning of the text is he was, <laughs> it's been several decades and he now has facial hair. They didn't recognize him. But the deeper meaning is they didn't recognize how somebody could live in Egypt and nothing's changed. He's the same Joseph. <laughs> same Claret, right? It, the physical world doesn't affect or change him. A real tzaddik. Why do we look up to righteous people? We need that role model. We need to know that we don't just... That the reality that we learn about is not just something we believe in. But it's true, and there's people that live it. And a tzaddik, a real tzaddik, doesn't live for themselves. They 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 have the ability to uplift us, to inspire us, to look up to. This is why we're praying for them. We're praying, God, uphold the righteous. We need these role models. So you know where you see this in the Torah? Right before Moses is passing, he gathers the Jewish people. And it's essentially the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses gathering the Jewish people, giving them his final words, a pep talk, before they're going to go into the land of Israel and he leaves them behind. And he says, Shema Yisrael, listen, Jewish people. What does God want from you other than to just revere him? That's all he wants. Just revere him. The Gemara, the Talmud says, well, wait a minute. Not so fast. You make it sound so easy, Moses. All God wants is you to revere him. 
that's a very big deal because if you want to revere God properly and genuinely, you know what that, if you revere God genuinely, you know what that means? That means God is real to you. <laughs> that's not easy. Why is Moses making it sound so easy? The Talmud says, for Moses, it's an easy thing. Okay, it's not easy for most people, but it is easy for Moses. And commentaries say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't answer the question. I'm not Moses. And here's where translations are dangerous. The Talmud didn't say it's easy for Moses. The Talmud said, and I'm going to translate, I'll say it in the original Hebrew and then translate, Legabe Moshe, which is often translated as regarding Moses. It's an easy thing. But another way to read, translate it is next to Moses. When you're next to Moses, it's easy. Not that it's easy for Moses. It's easy when you're next to Moses. You can have a righteous role that gets it. And you're next to them. You're near them. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. You're absorbing their teachings. You're absorbing their values. Reverence for God or appreciating the truth is going to be much easier. About 26 years ago, my parents made a, a very difficult decision. They're going to start embracing their Judaism more seriously. And it was difficult. They're married at this point. They have three children between the ages of four and nine. And to say, we're not going out to tray for restaurants anymore. We're not buying tray food anymore. We're not driving on Shabbos anymore. It was a very big challenge. It was a big challenge socially. It was a big challenge uh, relationally. Because we had a lot of family that we couldn't eat at their house now. It was not easy for my parents. Los Angeles did not have nearly the amount of kosher restaurants it did now. It was like a pizza shop for, you know, however far it was, and then a restaurant another 45 minutes away, and that that was it. And part of their culture was it was a it was very big sacrifices that they made. Not easy. Thank God their their kids went along with it. It's, you know, it's not, it's not even like all of a sudden, okay, this is what we're doing. What instigated this? Where did this shift come from? It's a crazy shift. It's crazy. It's beautiful, but it's, it's beautiful. Where did, what, what pushed this? Okay, I, I I can't say that there's one answer, and I can't speak for my parents, but I can't I can't say that there's one thing like I saw the light. You know, there's always different things contributing. You're learning over here, and you're inspired because of this, and you know the puzzle just gets clearer and clearer as you progress. I think it's a lot of times something's missing. They're looking for something that's missing, right? And and there was one particular event that shed light that something is missing. 
my mother has a younger sister, seven years younger, who became observant and embraced her Judaism um, probably about a decade before my parents did. She's come, she comes and visits us. Um, and again, this is prior to the changes that my parents made. She comes from New York to visit us. And I think we were like watching TV or something. Do you remember Power Rangers? They're out of style. It, 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 for secular life, that's pretty innocent. <laughs> Power Rangers is pretty innocent. <laughs> Especially compared to what's out there these days. But my aunt said something that for some reason just sent a shock to my mom. She said, your children are going to have a very difficult time hanging out with my children. My mom says, why? Because their role models are very different. What do you mean? Well, their role models are the Power Rangers. My children's role models are going to be our sages and forefathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the sages of the Talmud. And it just sent a shock down my mother and father. Like, wow. Who do we want our kids to reflect? Who do we want our kids to learn from? Who do we want our kids to be? And it was just like this paradigm shift that planted seeds and inspired them to make very difficult and meaningful and inspirational changes in their life. <laughs> That's right. If there were no Power Rangers, who knows where we would be, right? There's, there's no shortage of clip out there. <laughs> the point is, why are we praying that God uphold the righteous? Where would we be without righteous people? We need righteous people to help lift us up. There's a story, a well-known story of um, Yehuda Avner. Yehuda Avner was an Israeli politician advisor to several prime ministers, including Menachem Begin and others. He was very close with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. They had a very good relationship, a very close relationship. And he had a private audience with the Rebbe. He's in the Rebbe's meeting room. And uh, again, to book a meeting with the Rebbe took months. There was no walk-in welcomes. I mean, there was times where the Rebbe would hand out the dollars and anybody could get in line and talk. But if you wanted a private meeting, you know, that takes, that's a big deal. And they're usually they're between the hours of 10 p.m. to like 4 a.m. And they're average 10 minutes, five minutes, you know. Yuna Avner was in there from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And they're talking. And there's a lot of things that transpired in that room. Among which the Rebbe said to Yehuda, Yehuda, you have somewhat of an inside perspective in Chabad. It's probably clear by the amount of time he's spending in that room, right? Not everybody had that privilege. You have some sort of inside perspective in Chabad. 
why you know and i'm paraphrasing but why are you being an observer <laughs> you got to come in a little bit become part of it become part of the inspiration become part of the movement become become this he had a hard time he he had a hard time being more than just an admirer and so to speak buying in and one of his philosophical challenges was the role of a Rebbe. What is the role? And the Rebbe told him, you have a wax with a wick in it. Right? You open up the cupboard, you see a wax with a wick. What is it? He says, a candle. No. It's just a lump of wax. You know why it's just a lump of wax and it's not a candle? Because it's not ignited. It's not ignited. It's not fulfilling its purpose. It, we can't truly say it's a candle. We can't genuinely say it's a candle. We could call it a candle. But that's not what it is. It's just a lump. So he says, you have a body. Right? You have the lump of wax. You have the wick. But where's the fire? We can't genuinely call ourselves a human being if we're not on fire. If we're not connecting to our soul, connecting to our purpose, to our meaning in life, the reason for which we were created. That's the role of a Rebbe. Become lumps, going from lumps to people, <laughs> from lumps to candles. The, the meeting continued and the Rebbe walked him to the door at about two in the morning and he says to the Rebbe, facetiously, has the Rebbe lit my candle yet? The Rebbe looks at him and says, nope, and I'm not going to. I don't light candles. I'll give you the match and I'll give you the tools to light your own candle. And that was the Rebbe's style, right? Many tzaddikim, they were there to inspire people. The Rebbe wasn't really there to inspire. He was there to educate, to empower, to create independence. But, but the point is we need these righteous people so we can not just be lumps, so we can be on fire, so we can really be candles, so we can really be lamplighters, so we can illuminate the world. Okay, here's what we're going to do right now. We are going to go through this particular prayer line by line because embedded within the text is incredible, incredible insight. And it's hiding, but it's right there. There are several, in general, we're praying for the righteous people, but there are several descriptions of righteous, of various types of people here. In the text. I'm, I'm going to read the Hebrew. Is that okay? Can we do the Hebrew? I have an easier time with the Hebrew. Take a look at the Hebrew. The second to last paragraph. First line. We'll read it in Hebrew and I'll translate line by line. Al Hatzadikim. Upon the righteous people. Al HaChasidim. And upon the pious people. Right, We're going to say God arouse mercy upon them. Right? What is the difference, by the way, between righteous and pious? A tzaddik and a chassid. Tzaddikim and chassidim. One way to look at it is a righteous person gets the truth. They get it. Because they get it, they have to convince themselves to feel that way. 
Hasidim, I don't just get the truth. <laughs> I live and breathe the truth. I don't have to, you know, some, sometimes you know that there's a deeper truth, but it's not consistent with how I feel at the moment. So I have to put myself in that frame of mind. And then you have some people where I don't have to even go through the process. I just get it. I'm on fire. It's the way I am. It, it's an even more pure level. It's the difference between that in this context, the tzaddik has intellectual clarity, knows the truth, may struggle emotionally, but the next level is I don't even struggle emotionally or just total pure clarity. Take a look at the, we're in the first line, Middle of the line, Va'al Zikne, Amchan, the elders of your nation. Beit Yisrael, all the elders of your nation, the house of Israel. That's referring to, you know what that refers to? The elders of your nation? The elders of your people, as it says in English. That's referring to the Torah scholars. They also have some level of clarity. It's learned clarity, but it's clarity nonetheless. If you study Torah, you're going to get clarity. And if you study Torah properly, you're going to have emotional clarity as well because you'll hopefully believe what you learned. Not only understand what you learned, but hopefully believe it as well, right? Va'al, second line. Pleitat pesofrehem. And the remaining, how do they translate in the English? The remnant of their sages. Okay. Um, the commentaries on the Siddur discuss what that means, but basically meaning uh, some interpret that, that to mean the Students, the young children that are studying Torah. The elders, but you have the young children studying Torah as well. They have a level of clarity too and conviction as well. Va'al gerei hatzedek. On the, how do they translate here? The, the righteous proselytes. Gerei tzedek, the converts, the righteous converts. What's a righteous convert? as opposed to an unrighteous convert. So traditionally in, in halacha, you have two types of converts. I mean, somebody you have somebody who didn't convert properly, and that, that's not a conversion at all. But then you have what's called a, a, um, a resident convert. That's somebody who is not Jewish, but decides to formally adhere to the seven laws of Noah. But then you have a righteous convert who decides they want to fully embrace Judaism and fully become Jewish. What compelled them to do that? A, a convert is not just, I find this interesting and I, I think I want this. One of the reasons why we don't push conversion as Jews, in fact, we at first discourage it, because we want to see that it's genuine, right? But there's another reason. If somebody's going to convert, they don't need you to push them. <laughs> they're going to do it. And if they're not going to convert, you pushing them won't help. Because somebody who's going to convert has that fire. And sometimes it takes time for that fire to emerge. 
takes that time for that fire to to incinerate to grow but that they have a fire that fire was lost perhaps for many many years perhaps many many generations that fire was buried at some point it emerges and nothing stops it that's incredible clarity that's incredible clarity it's like teshuva because you took something that was just buried and not even unknown, perhaps unknown. And you've transformed it into fire. Or you've transformed it. The fire really transformed it back to its roots. Incredible, incredible deep clarity. And then finally, the third line, the beginning, va'aleinu. And us regular folk. <laughs> right? And we say on all, right upon us. I'm going to go back to the English. We're on this same prayer, one, two, three, four, five lines. And we say, grant ample reward to all who trust truly in your name. Okay. And place our lot among them. What is our lot? among them mean it's a funny statement so you have this diversity of people you have tzadikim you have chasidim you have elders you have children you have converts you have regular folk place a lot among them the hebrew word for lot chalak is used euphemistically for the soul although intellectually our clarities may uh, be quite diverse we do have something in common all in common our lot our portion of god our soul the essence of the soul however diverse jews may be there is something that threads us together there's something we have in common there is something that unites us and it's much deeper than, it's certainly deeper than the culture of Judaism because Sephardim like spicy Moroccan fish and Ashkenazim like bland gefilte fish, right? So it's got to be more than just the culture. It's even more than passion and intellectual stimulation because the levels of clarity are different amongst the various types of personalities, as we're saying. What truly unites us is the soul. The essence of the soul, the soul itself, not just what, not just how the soul feels or what the soul sees, but the actual soul. And with that soul, we say, may we never be disgraced, for we have put our trust in you. <laughs> Why would we be disgraced? Why would we be shamed? What is that even talking about? So what, what happens is, after a person passes away, the body, uh, uh, the soul is no longer confined to the body. In other words, going back to the various levels of clarity that we spoke about, why is clarity so diversified? Why do why would one person have this level of clarity? One person, the reason is because we have bodies that damper and limit the soul. 
there's a psychological term for this called inattentional blindness, where you literally can't see everything. You don't have the ability to see everything. Our body filters things out. You ever drive at night? It's dark. Then you put your brights on. And then it's like, oh, I didn't see that stop sign 100 yards ahead. Right? We don't have the ability to process everything, to notice everything. Otherwise, we'd get overwhelmed. So there, there was a study they did. It's on YouTube. I don't know if it's a study, but an experiment. Where it says, it, there's like six people playing basketball. And it says, count how many times the ball is being passed. And you're focused on counting the ball. And then they rewind the video and replay it in slow motion. And you play it again and you notice that as they're passing the ball, there's a man wearing a bear costume crossing the court. And it's quite obvious, but you don't notice it because you're counting the ball. And most people can't notice that without it being pointed out because we'll be overwhelmed. So a tzaddik may have more resilience is less overwhelmed by spirituality and can appreciate more while in this world. But everybody's going to have their limitations, their inattentional blindness. But once a person passes away and they're in the next world and they're not confined by the body, they have this ultimate clarity. <laughs> it, where it's, the truth is just so painfully obvious. And if I haven't been living consistently with that truth my whole life, I'm bound to experience a little bit of shame. That's not a bad thing. That shame is healing. That is the Jewish concept of hell. A healing process by which I recognize the limitations I've been living with my entire life. And that, that, that's, a, that's a healing process. That For a tzaddik, that's going to feel like heaven, right? <laughs> Finally, I get to see. Them. We're asking God, let us never have this shame. Because let us have the strength and the trust to live consistently with the truth, with the Torah, with its values right now. So that when we get to that frame of mind where we have ultimate truth. And we experience it, it feels good because I've been living that my whole life. We conclude, blessed are you, Lord, the support and security of the righteous. This cannot happen on our own. We need God's help. And God sends us assistance to be able to connect to truth. To be able to align ourselves with the deeper reality that we know exists. The deeper reality of God's existence. The Torah, right? What is this assistance he sends us? The Torah. When we study the Torah. The word of God. We're aligning ourselves with him. When we do mitzvahs, we're embracing him. When we pray, we're emotionally connecting with him. That's the assistance that God gives to the righteous. Okay, in summation. And then we'll conclude. In summation. There is a distance a dissonance, a discorrelation, a discord between the truth, which is God is the creator, not that we've created him, which means anything that exists reflects a purpose, a divine purpose, because God is its creator. 
the world is infused with a purpose to make this world a divine place. And everything reflects that purpose. Either through using it for that purpose or avoiding it so it doesn't get in the way, right? So for, for example, something kosher we can use for Shabbos to reflect the divine purpose of making this world holy, right? Something not kosher we'll avoid. So it doesn't get in the way, in the way like we learned in Tanya. But for us to appreciate that, that's hard. We know it because we're learning about it. But to feel it, well, there's this discord between what we feel and what we know. For a tzaddik, though, they're totally aligned. And we look up to them. Because we know when we get to that next world, we're going to see the truth. We look up to the tzaddikim who are living that truth now and are helping us, inspiring us and giving us the tools to live that truth now. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.